Welcome to the author who came to tea. Other beverages are available. Hello, the author who came to tea. Today we are talking to the multi-talented screen and book writer. She was the first person to write a children's show where the main character has Down syndrome and has won numerous awards for all of the amazing things that she has done. Welcome Lindsay J Sedgwick. How do you take your tea? Lovely to meet you Grace and thanks for having me here. Um, I have a confession, I mostly drink coffee. I did, I, 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 did, I did try and not drink coffee for a while, but then I discovered that my writing, when, if I hadn't had a cup of coffee, the writing sort of went round in circles. But I do have a cup of tea in the afternoon, so I have a cup of tea here, especially for this. And I like it fairly weak, lots of milk, uh, the way most people who like tea hate it. <laughs> and with lots of biscuits and chocolate on the side. What is your favourite biscuit to dunk into tea? Ooh, that's a tricky one. So I like jammy dodges, but they're not good for dunking. Mm. And I like uh, toffee pops. But for dunking, it's probably chocolate polos. They're so coconutty. They, they, they have to be in the fridge first. How about you? Um, I like, I don't know, either rich tea or chocolate digestives. Mm, both good choice, but rich tea, they tend to break off and end up at the bottom of my cup. Yeah. <laughs> they're pretty disgusting when you wash them out afterwards. Um, for me, I'd probably say a custard cream. Mm-hmm. They're classic. Yeah, custard creams. When, we, when I used to do art in school, the, te- we had, the art teacher we had, she had this little red sports car, which was very bizarre in, in our school. But she only ever had um, uh, the biscuits you just mentioned, which has just gone completely out of my head. Sorry, um. Custard creams. Custard creams. Custard creams. So they were the only biscuits she ever had. So, um, so when I do that, I, I, I tend to be those if I'm doing some art. I have them. Um, have you always been interested in writing? I'm afraid I have. It's probably something every writer you talk to has. I can remember as a child writing poems from sort of looking up from, from the sort of height of people's knees. So I was sort of sick, quite young. And I used to write a book of poems from poor mother every birthday from about the age of eight and at nine I decided I'd be an author and I wrote my first book which was called My Cousin Nora and the Adventures She Brought With Her which is all about voodoo and witch doctors and poisoned uh, chocolates that would make you walk off cliffs and stuff um, but my I was sort of geared I was sort of steered towards journalism then because when I was growing up there was no such thing as having a career as a writer like we didn't know writers there was they were on a different level to us completely. So I, I sort of focused on becoming a journalist and started writing for women's magazines. So the letter pages used to pay 10 quid if you got the top letters. That was pretty good back in the 70s. Um, and then I started writing for the newspapers and I did. I was a journalist for 13 years writing plays on the side. And then in 1993, my sister died and I sort of decided I needed to change my career and to do what I actually always had wanted to, which was write. So I gave up the journalism, saved for a year and a half so I could survive for a year and a half, gave up the journalism and I've been writing full time ever since. Um, do you think your time as a journalist helped um, your writing? Oh, yeah. Yeah. In terms of deadlines. I mean, deadlines are pretty. It's, that's one thing you find when you start out writing, trying to finish stuff and keep the faith. And there's always a point around the fifth or sixth chapter when it's sort of all goes flat and you wonder what and you can see how far you have to go and, and it just seems endless and what you're going to do with it when you finish and all that so I find deadlines are absolutely brilliant and that's what I got from journalism 
I'm writing quickly. I can procrastinate forever, but then I will write really quickly and get a huge amount done. And then people think I'm really productive, but I'm not. It's all a trick. So I'll give, I'll make up deadlines for myself. If I don't have any. And I will, the goal then is to finish something to a certain stage and then you can take time off and do something else. And that's nothing. That's the benefit of that. Um, did you ever think about going down the teaching or lecturing route? Because you've made um, a course on screenwriting and writing on your YouTube. Um, I, I did, I've always taught screenwriting and creative writing. Um, the first course I did, I was asked to do because somebody dropped out. And I remember I had just had an accident, so I'd had hypothermia, so I was on crutches. The, I had had to learn to walk again. I remember it was a two-hour trip to get to this, to teach this class for one hour and come home again. That was the first time I taught. And I loved it. I love, um, there's nothing more, more exciting than setting some sort of writing exercise and then sort of seeing what people come up with. It's brilliant. And I always do them myself when I'm, when I'm doing it. Um, and when I was in school, I actually set up a group with another girl where we had, where all the, from in secondary school, so all the kids all the way up would could come and you'd sort of give it, like it was Halloween, you'd make up some, some odd idea about Halloween or hauntings or something and people would have to write something or you'd you'd come up with an odd phrase and you had to do a little improvised play and slip this really odd phrase in without anybody knowing what it was. So from that point of view, I've always enjoyed giving classes, but I've never done more than one year at a time. I did teach for one full year. And... I never thought of being a primary school teacher, though. Is that, that more what you mean? Yeah. No, I never, I never, I didn't think I'd have the patience. I, I love going into schools. So I love going in and talking to students. And I have, I've, I grew up with, I'd, oh, t- uh, 21 nieces and nephews. I was the youngest of eight children. So and there was 21 years between me and the eldest. There were a lot, some of them very close in age to me. So I spent a lot of time looking after them. That might have put me off teaching. <laughs> How about you, both of you? Do you want to write or do you want to teach yourselves? Um, I'm not really sure. Yeah. I think but, it kind of just depends on the future. It depends what takes your interest. I wanted to be an archaeologist first. And so if I have this fantasy of going into, you know, across a desert somewhere in Egypt and you'd find a pair of gates, you know, those old granite, old stone gates and you'd walk through and you'd be in a different world. You go back in time. Well, that's, I still have that fantasy. I don't know if it can come true, but I'm, I'm thinking of putting it in the next book. Uh, so, yeah, it depends. It depends what teachers you get as well and if they inspire you and what people you meet. How about you, Kaylin? Um, I think the same as Grace, like just see how the future goes. Mm. And the one thing about writing is you can always come back to it, no matter what you do. It will. F- My mother used to say that and used to drive me mad every time something went wrong or when I had a boyfriend and they dumped me or some job I'd been hoping for fell through. She was oh, yeah, it's all, the, it's, it's, um, it's all inspiration for your writing. And I thought, yeah, could I have a happy, could I just be happy for a while instead and forget about the writing for a bit? Because as my daughter said that as well, she, she get, she'd suffered from bullying and stuff in school and she, as she, as she said the bad things that happen to you make the funniest stories the best stories so not that I'd wish that on you but uh, nothing will be wasted so going on to um your show punky um mm-hmm. was there one particular thing that gave you the idea for that show or was it like multiple different times 
Uh, probably multiple things. I mean, one of, I had a friend whose brother had Down syndrome and she used to tell me the stories of the, 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 the things he would do and say. Um, and then I'd recently met my future husband and he's his his youngest child, who was three, my daughter was six, his son was nine and his eldest daughter was 12. And his son had was severely autistic and doesn't speak. And it was watching that relationship of what it's like when you're in a family and one of the children has special needs and how that dynamic and the humor that comes with the black humor that comes with it, that, that you wouldn't know unless you were in there and you wouldn't dare, wouldn't dare use unless you were in that situation. And also it took, I think it took two years for Dara to acknowledge my sister, my, do- my daughter existed. And then it was with the sort of pat on the shoulder and she was, ah, he hugged me. <laughs> it was a huge thing. It's because he doesn't, he doesn't touch, he doesn't, he's not really interested in anybody. Um, and I, but I didn't know how to do, deal with autism in the drama because your central character has to be, you have to be able to relate to them. You have to be, your audience has to relate to them and they have to be empathic, em- empathetic, I think. So I looked at the whole situation and because of my friend with the brother and also another friend who had Denise, who's younger, and she put me in touch with a few mums and I went and I spent days with families and with groups of, of mums who had children who had Down syndrome. And it was the inspiration, finally, was one little four-year-old boy who kept trying to, trying to climb up the chimney. And yet the poor mother had to rush off around the house and pull him down out of chimney places everywhere. And his logic was, well, Santa comes down the chimney, this is in April or May, then I'll climb up to find him. And there's, there's impeccable logic. I mean, there's absolutely, I have no argument with that whatsoever. And that was the logic I wanted. So I thought the different point of view, the different perspective, and there was a certain amount of pushing that it should be about the little brother's point of view of, oh, look, my quirky little sister. I thought, no, 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 no. We've had millions of those. A, I wanted a woman at the head of a girl to be the main character. B, it had to be her point of view because that's what's interesting. There's no the stories. It's the point of view that brings you in and actually her. The fact that, you no know, with the best will in the world, everything she does is going to make life worse for her brother. But as he knows, nobody loves him as much as she does either. And it, it, um, it was actually quite life-changing, I think. There were a lot, I, I met people on the street who sort of said their children introduced me to their kids because they'd finally found a show that was on mainstream telly. That was the whole point, it had to be mainstream telly, which reflected the lives that they had. And they could sort of, and for, uh, for parents who were about to have children or had just had children with Down syndrome, it was very reassuring. Um, and you could tell stories that hadn't, just hadn't been told before, but I didn't know it was going to be groundbreaking. I just thought it, this is an interesting character and an interesting way to tell stories and I sort of grew from that. Um, What's your favourite TV or film? I don't know if I have one. I just watched The Witcher which would be fantasy. I liked Schitt's Creek which was sick. Um, Favourite one? I don't know. I don't know. I'm a bit. I'm a bit like a butterfly. I sort of flit from one thing to another. Um, I like. I like. I like fantasy and drama. I don't like a lot of violence. I like um, some beautiful anime. I just watched one series called Banana Fish, but I think it would be. I think it's thirteen plus. Um, and there's some really interesting stories that they do with with anime that you wouldn't get away with in live action. So I. So dip into that. It's funny, I watch different things if I'm with my husband, if I'm on my own or if I'm with my daughter. <laughs> so I'll watch drama if it's me. If I'm with my daughter, it'll be uh, sci-fi or anime. And if it's with my husband, it'll be much more mainstream. 
But we have a thing where we're going to, we choose, we take turns all through lockdown to choose a film. So the last one I introduced him to was um, The Unicorn Store. I don't know if you've seen that. It's a really interesting indie film. So I'd go indie film rather than mainstream films. I like good characters, I guess. So there's something with interesting characters. I do like sci-fi and I love Doctor Who. That was one I do love Doctor Who. Do you have any advice for young people aspiring to be uh, screenwriters? Screenwriters? Um, well, it's it's all about uh, the best way to learn to be a screenwriter is to, if there's a show that you love, you write, you tape it and then go through it and see how, how they introduce the characters and what the different storylines and you start seeing, well, that bit's related to the storylines. So you start seeing how they structure them. Um, not to be too concentrating on... Sorry, that's um, best. Uh, I mean, for anybody who wants to write, I'd say write, write all the time. But I mean, that's that's a bit of a cliche, isn't it? Writing for screenwriting, you want to be able to. I suppose you work out what you what you love to write. If you want to apply for work, you need to come up with a sample script. So you need to try and write a script. There's loads of books, including my own. Um, write that script, but this you find one of those books that you actually really like. But this, uh, this uh, the, you can do online stuff now as well, of course. Um, if you want to develop your own ideas, you want to write a script. You want to start developing. It's not enough just to have a good idea. You have to actually try and finish it. But don't worry too much about structure. That Just get the story down. Um, but this, if, you, if there's something you love to write, if you, if, you, if you study it, you can actually work out like every... Every half hour episode has two to three storylines. Um, if it's a comedy, one will be heavy, then there'll be a sort of lighter one, and then there'll be a, a sort of a comedy sort of uh, almost like a gag line that might run through, gag story. Um, and if it's a one hour, you'll have between three and five stories, sometimes storylines. So it's actually watching how they weave those together. You can learn a lot. You just have to start, I guess, studying the shows that you love and what you like about them. And, or a film, look at the first 10 minutes of loads of films. And you can read loads of scripts online, read loads and loads and loads of scripts. BBC Writers Room has dozens of them, but there's loads of others. And just read how they set up a world, how they set up a character. Um, that's great advice, but I have some questions about your debut novel, Dad's Red Dress. Oh, yeah. It is about Jessie King coming home from LA and finding out that her dad likes to wear stereotypically women's clothes. And what's her little sister having religious visions and Jessie finding out that the principal of her school and the school bully live next door. A lot is going on in this book and what gave you the inspiration for it? That's right, Dress. It was, I wasn't that much older than you were, I don't think. And the son of my father's boss was transitioning into a womb. And at that stage, this was not something, this we're talking early 70s. Um, and I was fascinated, not, not so much by that, but the fact that she had two children. And I wondered, how did they go to school the next day and explain that to the peers? I mean, how, how do you do that? And I could hear my parents talking about it, and so they wouldn't say very much if I came near and all the rest of it. So that idea sort of stuck with me. So I did made it, I wrote a feature script originally back in 2002, and that nearly got made. It was the German-Irish film production and fell down at the last minute. And then I've turned it into a book and gradually that, and eventually that got published. But the, I wanted it to be from the 13 year olds point of view. And it's, it's about parents. One of the joys of being a parent, I don't know, it's 
you identify with this, Jacqueline, but it's embarrassing your children. Oh, yeah. Definitely. You know, it's dancing in high school, it's wearing pigtails, it's, it's yeah. saying outrageous things. Just, I mean, it's one of the, it's the only pleasure you get for free. And it's, it, it's on for life. It's, it's, and then you pass it on and they do it with their children. So, I mean, that's what the core of it is. It's just, she just wants her family to be normal because she just wants, and of course it's not going to be because her father, not only, she's, she's, she knows he dresses as a woman and that's fine. But... And she's always known that he will transition, that she will transition, but it hasn't. The, the, the deal that her father had with her stepmother was that stepmother wanted to have a child so that they'd wait and see if she could get pregnant first. And unbeknownst to Jesse, this has already happened. So that's why everything suddenly, and she just when she thinks, okay, we're moving to a new country, I won't let my sister be bullied now because I'll keep it all under wraps and it's fine. I'm not embarrassed about them, but I just don't want anybody else knowing which is kind of a contradiction in terms. And of course, then it's going to get out. To, and every, everything she does to try and... She, she, her logic is that she doesn't want her dad to know she doesn't support him. So therefore, he has to change his mind by himself. So she has to persuade him, just to do something that will persuade him to change his mind and not go ahead. Which, of course, every, and of course, everything is going to backfire beautifully. I've, I've just signed the contract actually a couple of days ago for the t- to adapt it as a TV series. So that's uh, for either five... Have five one hour or ten half hour episodes. So that's the next uh, project. That's so, awesome. And it's funny because um, I mentioned it to my sister and she says, Oh, is that going to be an RT? And I said, No, no, I was, I was going to try for Netflix or something. She said, Oh, one of the controversial stations. <laughs> so, I, I have quite a conservative older sister who, who didn't approve of this book at all. So um, life is interesting, families are very interesting. So I suppose in terms of me, I mean, the little, little, little sister, Laura, I love her. She's, I think she's probably me as I was. Um, the fact that she sees all these visions and of course the visions that she sees of the Virgin Mary on a motorbike in a pink Afro is the dad going off to a party. So she's, so it's all, um, but she wants to be a saint. She wants to be a nun initially and by the end of the first book, she wants to be a saint. So I've written the second book, but it hasn't been published yet. Um. <laughs> Describe that book in three words. Quirky, heartwarming. Is that one or two words? Um, uplifting. Because it is, it is. It's a, it's, a, it's a, You feel good at the end of it, I think. The, the second book is Dad's Wedding Dress, so you can guess where it's, you can guess where it's going. When it came to researching how to write for this book, what did you do? Well, I, I talked to people in the trans community and I t- did a lot of research online because I didn't, at that stage when I was writing it initially, I didn't know very many people. So it was um, back in 2002, I would have read a lot of books of people who were trans or who had, were transitioning and that sort of end of things. And then there were a couple of, there were some very good websites and which were, uh, there was one called Kids of Trans. So it was perspective of children. And I used a lot of those I think sometimes you can get bogged down in research. You have to draw a line on it and write the book that you'll never write because you get caught up in trying to get it right and you want to put it all in. So I, I actually wrote the book and then went back to make sure that I'd got it right, to make sure that the responses that she had or the responses that, he, that, that her father had, the way he would explain it, how they would, how they would handle it so that it was sympathetic in terms of how they were helping the children to cope with it. Um, to check that was all right. Now I would know if I know I, 
I, through my daughter, I know several people who, who, who are trans. She would read the book. Now, if I was doing it, she read the second book just to be sure. I did use the wrong terminology. Because, I mean, it's so... The last thing you want to do is get anything wrong. I mean, with... with um, with, uh, with, if we, with the TV series, we will hire a trans writer to work with me or to advise and consult on the show because the last thing we want to do is get something wrong. And I think the it would have to be a trans actress or at least a woman that would play the father. So that's all to be dealt with yet. But it's all in the notes when I, when, when I, when I was organising. was it talking to the producer in the early days to make sure we get that right. Um, It'd be, exciting, it'd be exciting, but I mean, if it had been made in 2002, it would have been groundbreaking. And the German production company were the main production company, and their attitude was wonderful. You don't, it's something you don't get so much over this end of the world, which was, we wouldn't change a line unless you agree with it. Then you get an Irish producer and they change everything. So I probably shouldn't put that in this interview. They're wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I only work with good producers. Um. Your second book, The Angelica Touch, has yeah. a much more like romantic center point. Um, how did you find writing that book compared to um, your debut? Um, Dad's Red Dress was a story that had been around and around and around, nudging me in different ways. I tried to do it and I found a way to do it. The Angelica Touch, it also began as a, as a family film and one of the inspirations, there were several inspirations. I'd worked in an introduction agency in my 20s, which was a very interesting experience in Australia. Then I was also a single parent and I had tried some internet dating sites at that stage. I hadn't met, I'd met various, some very strange people and some absolutely lovely people. And then my daughter, at that stage, when I wrote the first book, she would have been about and a friend of mine had a, a friend of mine was a producer in Northern Ireland to introduce to her mother with I need a dad and my mum needs a woman needs a husband all sizes shapes ages didn't matter and I just oh that's perfect it's that idea of, of with my daughter when the book came out and then when the, when the yeah when the book came out her attitude was make sure everybody knows it wasn't me because I didn't want you to meet anyone so and I suppose with the romance of it all, you know. I remember looking at her as a child, and, and dads would have hoist their daughters up on their shoulder. And I thought she missed out on stuff, but uh, it wasn't written. It, it wasn't written about personal experience. But I, I do, I do a good, a good romance and a slap. Um, I like comedies of error, you know, where everything just sort of wheels out of control, and no matter what you do for whatever. For the best of instincts, that things suddenly become kind of crazy, and I do like those sort of old, like the old Pressburger films. And, um, and I had I had George Clooney coming in dressed as a as a nurse at the end, but I was told I had to update that for the book. <laughs> uh, it's Brad Pitt now. So. Um, your next book after that was the story of Wolfie, and it was actually. Your sister's bedtime story. Was, so, whose idea was it to get that published, and why did you make that choice? I actually made a wrote it for my daughter. So, Libby is the child in it, and that was my daughter. And I was working full time. The one time I did work full time teaching for a year, and I kept reading interviews about writers, and writers always say that they wrote their best selling 
And I thought, I've written nothing for her. I've written all these other things for everybody else. And so I made myself sit on the end of her bed and tried to invent stories. And when you're really tired after a long day and you're not feeling very creative, it doesn't always come very easily. But this little character, Wolfie, crawled in and behind me. I couldn't see him yet, but I knew who he was because all the socks were disappearing in our house. So we always had 17 odd socks, even if they're all washed and put together, we always had 17. And somebody, I reckon, was eating the socks before they left the laundry basket. So the smelly socks, somebody ate smelly socks. So that was Wolfie, smelly socks. And then something stinky he smelled, ah, absolutely gorgeous, makes people fall in love. So there was that element. And then my daughter, she she would have been about five or six when I started, but when about eight when I was really sort of putting them together as books. And she really, really wants a best friend. And I remember asking her, what's your definition of a best friend? And she said, someone who'd walk through flames for me. And I remember thinking that was wonderful, but it was also, I, I felt so scared. So how can you ever get anybody to live up to that? <laughs> Not that I want anyone to walk through flames. Um, and she was also, she had, there were lots of issues with bullying and not quite fitting in and yes not quite fitting in with other kids and not being like other kids and I so that, that was why I created a best friend that would walk through flames for if necessary but he hasn't had to yet he, hopefully he never would but he will grow big enough to swallow the bullies and I love that idea but she'll always she'll make him spit them out because she knows you get into trouble if her big brother disappeared her nasty big brother Rex disappeared somebody would track it down to her so she will make him spit them out, but they'll always retain sort of wolf-like tendencies. So they'll sniff bums for half an hour afterwards or try and steal the socks off their teachers or have a little tail. Or, so, and they'll be sort of discombobulated for a while. And so that's the, the sort of punishment. So over the course of the books, Libby will always be the one who, who, she's the one who has agency. She's the one that will actually make things better in the end and learn from it and get stronger from it. And Rex... Gradually, over the course, I'm, I've just, I'm just finalizing the third book and I've just delivered the fourth book. He's getting, he gets kind of nervous around the dog because she thinks that he thinks Wolfie is a dog because he gets to stay in the house at the end of the second book. But he, he doesn't remember being swallowed, but he sort of, you know, maybe he's not scared when she's got her little dog around with her and the dog looks at him in certain ways and he doesn't get to bully her as much. Um, so I wrote that, that was that was where Wolfie came from, but it, I tried to make it as a TV series, as an animation series for years and years and years. So, and it was lovely to go back and do them as books because the TV series, all, they all, um, all the nastiness went out of them. You couldn't have really, really mean parents. You couldn't have a really nasty brother. It was all made nicer. The Roald Dahl element was all gone. It was all safer. So it was nice. I got, got the books back and somebody did say, some of the characters were like Roald Dahl. I was like, yes, villains are so much fun. And you hate a nice villain because you know the worse you make them, the more fun you're going to have making sure they get their own comeuppance and it's their own fault. So, I mean, in the second book, there's a very evil Aunt Ilda. It's really not that. What happens to her is fun. So, um, sorry, going off tangent a bit from your question. Sorry. It's fun. Would you like it, Wolfie? Did you meet? Did you read? the book I'm not, no honestly it sounds like a really good book it's 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 fun it's wish fulfillment i mean wouldn't everybody like to have a purple shape-shifting wolfen on their side yeah, yeah and, he, and he talks and he's as mischievous and he gets into trouble all the time and the idea is 
that he keeps getting because he wants to help her he ends up getting her into more and more trouble he, the, the more he tries to help her the worse things will get and then she has to sort of but she learned she i mean the first book she ends up sort of i suppose discovering her in a wolf because she has to perform on stage as a wolf and he has to train her and the reason he does that is she's not allowed to go to the auditions because of her brother he, he tricks the mum she won't let her go so Wolfie sneaks out on his own and he auditions for the part of the big bad wolf and he gives her name. Hang, that's not. Yeah. So and uh, in the second book, the Aunt Ilda, he sneaks off and he climbs into the washing machine and comes out all poofy and she she presents show dogs. So she decides, oh, I have to have this dog, but she also knows that this, this isn't just an ordinary dog. Um, and she's also a very sort of evil dog breeders so they have to rescue all these dogs for it. But Wolfie falls for it because he wants to be on a TV show and he likes the idea of being uh, famous and stuff. Um, and the third book will have a superhero element and the fourth book I've just handed in is about ghosts. So that's as many as there are at the moment. So the second one only just came out and the third one will come out in September. So, but, uh, it's fun. It's fun writing kids books. Kids books are fun. That's as much you can you, you can play with the language. Like I've got lines in it. Like the I think it's the mother is described as have having um, eyebrows that resemble were like two mud wrestlers. No, two hairy wrestlers locked in a mud bath. And one of the editors said, "I don't understand what this means." And like it doesn't matter. It's fun. <laughs> so. Um, I suppose he was based a little bit on my dog as well. I had, a, but she, he was golden. So that's sort of mischievous. You know, I don't know if you have pets yourselves. Um, I had a fish, but that that was it because both of my parents were allergic to dogs. Uh, so yeah, I have a very mischievous cat. So <laughs> yeah, that's that's the mischief you want you want to have in a, in a pet. So I mean, Wolfie is. Because after the second book, she can pretend he's a dog. So if he stays the same size. But, uh, yeah. yeah, we've got two mischievous cats that have just decided to adopt us. And they're, they're waiting first thing in the morning. So um, there's something. I love, love cats because the, the way the cats take over your workplace. And they sit on the piece of paper you're meant to be writing on. They sit in front of the screen when you're meant to be actually typing something. They chase the, the, the cursor and the dogs drag you out for walks. So. That's probably better as a writer, so you're not sitting around too much. Okay. Um, the next segment of the podcast is kind of a competition because it's called the one minute challenge, and you have to answer as many of the questions in one minute. Okay. Take a drink. Take a take a drink of tea first. Okay. Primed. Primed to lose. Um. So, Kaylin, do you want to start the timer? Uh. Yes. Okay, three, two, one, go. What book most influenced you or inspired you as a child? Um, the Once and Future King by T.E. White. What is your favourite word? Discombobulated. How do you like your tea? Weak. If you were Where's Wally, where would you hide? Um, in the biscuit barrel. Pencil or pen? Pen. What is your favourite children's book now? Uh, the Little Prince. Both. Paper or computer? Mystery, Mystery. or horror? 
Famous Five or Secret Seven? Famous Five. Cake or Biscuits? Biscuits. Blog or Diary? Diary. Who is your favourite author? Oh. 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 Gone blank. Completely gone blank. Um, Neil Gaiman. That was, like, really good. But don't make yeah. age or something. You nearly got them all, so that that was impressive. Yay! <laughs> and I have my vaccine on Friday. <laughs> so it's a good week. Thank you so much for talking with us today, Lindsay, and thank you for your time. Oh, it was an absolute pleasure. It was lovely to be, lovely to chat to you both, and good luck with whatever you decide to do. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. 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 Have a great day. Have a nice day. Thank you. Thank you to our guests today and our listeners at home for joining us for tea. Until next time.